0: Last weekend, I had the privilege and honor to officiate a wedding in Rhode Island, and being away from Jacksonville, watching the Weather Channel for three days, I didn't know what I was going to come back to. It was uh, disturbing and frightening, as the Weather Channel is prone to be. And uh, certainly it occurred to me one more time as we watched these things on television how sensational they are in order to keep us glued to it. Luckily, uh, most of you, I think, suffered uh, little damage, some more than others, but I'm prayerful that uh, we survived. Although, please keep those in North Carolina and the coast of South Carolina in your prayers. Uh, I was there last week. Uh, for my annual fishing trip, and I was overwhelmed by the damage that the flooding has caused on the east coast of that state. This morning's text comes to us, as Bill mentioned, from a letter from Paul or one of Paul's disciples to Timothy to the church. And I'm going to read, uh, instead of what's in your bullets, in verses 14 through 17 from the third chapter of 2nd. Timothy. May God open up to us an understanding of this word. But as for you, he's speaking to the church, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. To make my case this morning, I'm going to ask you to put on your thinking caps. For today, I want to talk about the authority of scripture and the Bible and the texts that make that up. I'm not talking about the 144 characters in texts that are being sent on Twitter these days, but the textus, the Latin word, which means the sacred writings. I think this is vital for our day for many reasons, but I think maybe the most important is that the power of the Bible holds for us something that is profoundly true, yet hard to reach. We've lost the sense of finding that these days, I'm afraid, and it's much because of technology as for any reason. We seem to skim over the surface of things rather than looking underneath it. The Bible holds for us something that's neither trivializing as something superstitious, no, no that, but also not to be idolized as if, It was a divinity turned into the fourth person of the Trinity. Through our history and our church and even Western civilization, we have concerned ourselves with these biblical texts that have provided for us a bedrock of truth and community. But now for many reasons I think this bedrock is being eroded. As I mentioned, it's probably technology as much as anything. But it's also all the many distractions of entertainment that we have in our lives. It's unbelievable. So that when we come to the Bible now, we come to it like many people come to Starbucks. They sit around the table, and they are in faux community with each other, but all the time they're sort of looking at their devices without any deep connection being made. The point that I am trying to make, especially for Presbyterians, is for us to take this Bible seriously again. Or as one ancient scholar, Bingle, said, apply yourself to the text and apply the text to yourself. Not only is the future of the church at stake, but as I said, so is, in my opinion, the future of civil society. For as we are seeing so painfully today the loss of respect, the descent into crassness, rudeness, vulgarity, and the lack of modesty, the win-at-all-cost politics reflects as much as anything, I think, a breaking away from the moral, social, emotional, and especially spiritual underpinnings that the Bible reveals to us when we are at our best. While this may sound like a job security conversation, it is my view that our misinterpretation of these biblical texts has been both the source of terrible suffering and injustice, racism and misogyny, as well as a myriad number of other misconceptions, indifference, cynicism, and even laughter from those who think they are too reasonable or enlightened to take the biblical text at all. So what I want to start out with is that place that drives us, whether we know it or not, and it's our emotions. We may not be aware of it, but scientists now, as well as psychologists and other social scientists, are discovering that really it is our emotional selves that drives us. And and it is through those emotions, through that perspective of our emotions, that we understand whatever it is to be true. Every advertising company understands this, as does every good trial lawyer. For the sake of disclosure, so does every good stewardship chairman. In fact, everything I am saying to you today is to first appeal to your emotions so that you will see the urgency in belonging to and supporting Riverside Presbyterian Church, who I think takes the Bible seriously enough to delve deeply into it without trivializing it into a book of magic or superstition place that I think holds us accountable to grow spiritually, mentally, as well as emotionally. And it is for this emotional appeal that I am inviting us to take this Bible as something other than just a black and white, literal, never-to-be-questioned text. For those of us who live in a sort of dualistic world where things are either or, or black and white, or good and bad, I know this is not easy. Nor is it easy for those who have grown up believing that all truth is subjective, that it is just based on whatever each individual person wants to say is true. Sort of that Facebook culture where everyone is entitled to their own individual beliefs, and lifestyles, as long as it doesn't spill over into my beliefs and lifestyles. But both sides, to me, I think, are both the same fundamentalist side. So today I want to talk about how our faith is in jeopardy by just that kind of dualistic either-or thinking. So I'm going to tell you a story. It's a story that came out of last week's fishing expedition as most stories i tell tend to be inevitably after dinner some of the guys will gather on the front porch and light up a cigar and start talking about sports because that's what guys do we'll talk about how the fishing was and then we'll talk about football and then we might even talk about our families And eventually politics comes up and then the emotions that go with that. But finally, at some point in the conversation during the week, they want to talk about religion. And they turn to me, because I'm the only clergy person there among a bunch of, they are quick to admit, reprobates. And they ask me questions. Now this is typical of the way most men work, if you've noticed, we don't like to have face-to-face conversation. Women do that better. Men like to have conversation around things, like sporting events, golf, or or, or work, for instance. It, there's some safety in the mediation of something to do. And so, the question came up the night before I was to come back to Jacksonville. One of them, a frequent church-going Methodist, asked me what I was going to preach on this Sunday, and since I had done enough work, I could remember the passage enough uh, to say that I'm preaching on how to take the Bible seriously, but not too literally, and to learn to understand how much depth and and resource is found if we were willing to dive into it. What's the passage, he asked, and I could sort of remember it, it's from uh, Second Timothy, that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. Another guy moaned, uh, how many times have I heard that verse slammed down my throat? He shared that he was raised in a deep, fundamentalist family and church and was taught that the Bible was absolutely inerrant and had to be taken literally at face value, black and white if you question any of it you're questioning all of it I was taught the Bible he said was without error in any sense, it is God breathed and literally dictated into the hearts and the hands of those who wrote it down Another guy there said, Preacher, what do you think? It was late, and I was ready to excuse myself to go to bed. Knowing it would be a long emotional conversation, I said, you know, maybe we can talk about that tomorrow. But then someone else cynically chimed in, why should we believe any of it? Any real scientist knows that the universe was created some 14 billion years ago, not the 4,000 plus years that the Bible seems to say, and anybody with any scientific sense knows that you can't create the world in six days. If that's not right, then it's all not right. It's hocus-pocus meant to keep us tethered to the church to stay in business. As I said, he was a bit cynical. At that point, I had to sit down. It occurred to me that they were both stumped over the same fundamentalist issue, that the authority of the Bible, still based on what they had learned as teenagers, that the Bible was either all right or all wrong, were stuck in that black and white, true and false dualism that we all get stuck in from time to time. As I said, I'd done enough work on this sermon to preach to them, and I said, well, yes, the passage from Timothy says that all Scripture is God-breathed, which comes from the Greek word, by the way, inspired. It's the same word in Greek that in Hebrew is the word God-breathed you or God did when God blew the breath of life into the first human beings of Adam and Eve. We're all God breathed. It's the breath of life. It's the breath of the Holy Spirit. When you die, you expire. When you live, you are inspired. It's the breath of God. And I said, you know, that whole concept of breath was developed over 3,000 years of the biblical text going all the way back even before the formalization of Israel and that it is about something more than just 2 plus 2 equals 4 and you can't read the biblical text as if it is a textbook just like that. If you take it that literally, you miss the deeper truth and you're not taking it seriously enough. Now they were getting a little glassy-eyed by then, as are you, but I was on a roll you take the Bible seriously, you have to look beneath the surface. You have to examine the 66 books and who wrote them and what were the circumstances and what were the historical, social, and cultural underpinnings around which it was written and what did they know and not know scientifically back then. For instance, Jesus assumed that the world was flat, as did everyone else, because he was limited in his understanding of scientific knowledge, in the same way everybody else was. For instance, when I'm I'm preaching a text that says that all scripture is inspired by God, I have to remind you that in Hebrew, which was then translated into Greek, the actual literal translation Is that all scripture by God is used for teaching and reproof? Which is ambiguous because it can mean that all preaching, excuse me, all texts are inspired by God, or that all texts that are inspired by God, leaving the interpreter. Having to decide, well, maybe some texts are less inspired by God than others. I wanted to tell them that the text that the writer of Timothy is referring to is the Hebrew Bible, not the New Testament text. The New Testament text was not canonized at this time. Timothy's talking about the books of Moses and the prophets and Daniel and the Psalms. That's the Bible for the writer of Timothy. But what I did say, in fact, was that the earliest manuscripts of this passage hold us accountable to go into a place that is much deeper than our on-the-surface, emotional, literal reaction. That is, as we read it, we are to be inspired by God, just as those who wrote it and just as those in New Testament times who canonize it. And how do you know what's truly inspired and not? My cynic said. Well, it's this little thing like you have to be in community and relationship with the historical church that has helped to manage the translation and understanding of it over time. You can't come to it by yourself. Because mostly we grew up being taught as a teenager that our understanding of things was absolute. Some of you may even be able to remember that far back. There was a point in time when we remembered or thought that our parents had all of a sudden grown stupid. Right? And what that was about was, all of a sudden we discovered that our parents were not perfect And because we were living in this absolute black and white world, once they were no longer perfect, they must be no longer good at all. Hopefully, at some stage, we grew up to another place where we understood that because our parents aren't so perfect, they're still our parents, they're still loving, they're still wonderful, they're still treasures, even though they have some flaw about them or some perception about them, that may not be exactly perfect because they too are grounded in the culture and perspective of life that they grew up in. It's about growing up from teenagerdom to adulthood to learn that things are way more complicated than they seem on the surface and that to be in relationship with it involves a profound amount of cognitive reasoning, patience, and not just an emotional overreaction. This is a stewardship sermon, by the way, because I am promoting the Presbyterian Church, and especially the Presbyterian Church USA, and especially Riverside Church, because I think our denomination and our church takes Seriously, this kind of critical thinking and in-depth analysis of the texts. From seminary that requires of its clergy persons learning some level of Hebrew and Greek, through the expectations of biblical exegesis that keeps you up with nightmares, the Presbyterian Church requires of its pastors and people An educated and in-depth work with the Bible. This is a stewardship sermon, as I said, and your support of Riverside Church and the Presbyterian Church USA is vital so that we remain an active voice in a culture that no longer seems to take in-depth analysis as seriously as we should. Did you know that Timothy writes in, first, in his first book that women should dress themselves modestly and decently in suitable clothing and not with their hair braided or with gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good works as is proper for women who profess reverence for God? And did you know that Timothy says, let a woman learn in silence and full submission and that Timothy says, I permit no woman to teach or have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, yet she will be saved through childbearing, provided they continue in faith and love and holiness with modesty. And if you take this text literally, there are no women preachers, elders, or deacons or any woman in any place of leadership in the church. But if you read beneath the surface, you see how culturally biased this text was in the time in which it was written, and how you understand that in writing it, they expected Jesus to come at any day, bringing the new kingdom, and therefore just don't go mess up the social structure. That's why they were able to live with slavery. Just don't mess up the social structure. Because Jesus will be here. Well, as you look more deeply into the text, you discover that, you know, there are some texts that may not need to be taken literally. And this is my stewardship point. For just as we are called to be stewards with our time and talent and treasure, we're called to be stewards with the Bible. According to John Calvin, The scripture is our lens, the the glasses through which we are able to view or perceive the presence of God. The scripture is not divine in itself and is not one of the divinities as in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is the revealed truth to us, a witness to the truth, but not the word itself, for that is reserved to God in Jesus Christ. The Bible helps us find it and gives witness to it and instructs us. But needs to be seen in its relationship for it is always about that, about relationship, about connection, which is emotionally driven, but it is also an act of the will and a very strong level of consciousness. This is a stewardship sermon. Did I say that? And in these these days of our political season, with our culture being overtaken with emotional reactivity, driven by untruths, insults, complete immodesty, reclaiming the role of our minds and not just our hearts is something that we need to value. It's one reason I'm here. Because when we are at our best, we hold each other accountable to this level of adulthood. And we hold the scriptures accountable to it, too. And For us to continue, every one of us needs to step up and give of our time and our treasure and our cognitive gifts. For it is the adult thing to do.